listening to The Private Citizen, a podcast for critical thinkers. This is episode 108 for Monday, the 31st of January 2022. The biggest security vulnerability of all time. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Private Citizen. My name is Fab. I'm your host coming to you from Düsseldorf in Germany. Nice to have you listening to the show. I appreciate it a lot. Two episodes in two days. What the hell is happening? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm taking next month off to write my novel, GrimDeep.com. Uh, I've called this Grim February because it will be grim indeed for me. It'll be quite a challenge and uh, I won't do any other work. So I won't do a podcast. So I, I thought I'll you know get an extra episode in and you know the last one was just late as i explained so um it's it's the way it is anyway today we're going to talk about lock for shell or um as it is it's a security vulnerability um as it's known to some people uh lock for j i guess um i've seen that around a lot uh lock for j is the uh the software that is affected this is a security vulnerability that happened in december and you know i saw it happen um, i saw obviously talk about it on twitter um you couldn't miss it and um at the time i was very happy that um that i didn't have to cover it <laughs> you know i've been in the situation um over previous years um where, where something like this broke and then um I'd be the one or one of uh, a number of people who had to cover it. And while that is very exciting and, and also, you know, it's cool. It's cool to do that. It's a challenge. You know, you got you to gotta very quickly figure out what's what's going on and then explain it to people and, you know, without being shit at it, um, you know, or try to be better than, than most people generally <laughs> who do this kind of thing. Um, yeah so it's 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 very uh, it's very challenging and then i was i was i'm kind of i've been doing this for years and i'm i'm kind of happy that i don't really you know have to do these things i mean i i can if i if i want to um but you know this was the beginning of december i don't know what i was doing i was busy with other stuff i w i was happy i didn't 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 have to do this um nonetheless it's an imp important topic and i've you know since written about it as well uh, more about what's what's been going on ever since the big news uh, hit and i thought before i break uh and you know uh, stop the show until march um might as well get this one in so uh that's why we're talking about that today and uh yeah um i let's let's that's all i uh have for an introduction so let's get right into it <laughs> So uh, Log4Shell, um, which was uh, registered under the CVE 2021-44228, um, is a zero-day vulnerability and a pretty hefty one. Um, it is in a Java application logging framework called Log4J. I'd never heard about this, but I fucking hate Java. So, that's, you know, I try to stay away from Java topics whenever I can. Sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah, I remember for the H, I was covering the um, the Java um, uh, trial 
uh, between Oracle and Google. That that was quite interesting because you know for the legal aspect, I kind of like that. But I really don't like Java, <laughs> um, so I try try to stay away from it. I you know I I'm not a coder. Sometimes I'll you know I I do code once in a while um, just to you know you know. I think it's interesting. I never really, uh, it never really gets anywhere. But I kind of try to dabble in it from now and then because I kind of think uh, this was one of my. I think my first editor in chief said this: if you're writing about this stuff, you you gotta code at least a little bit on the side. Otherwise, you know, um, you have no idea what you're talking about. And I think that's very true. Um, I just, but I just, I'm 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 fine with having no idea what I, you know, when it comes to Java because it's just like I. I looked at it. It's just not my way to do things. I just, I just, I was never comfortable with it. But anyway, so Log4j is very, as we will learn, um, a very, very popular. It's in a lot of software, and then you know, unsurprisingly, Java is everywhere. Um, so this was discovered on the twenty-fourth of November by the uh, guy from the Alibaba cloud security team, um, some some Chinese people, um, and then reported to the Apache Software Foundation because Log4j is an Apache software foundation project um, and it was then publicly disclosed on the 9th of december 2021 um, and received a cvss rating of 10 now this was a thursday and it was dis- disclosed i think uh, for european you know my time here in germany like in the middle of the night on thursday so uh, a lot of security uh, people basically had to call off their weekend plans and had to stay in uh, over the weekend and figure out what the hell was going on and 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 fix it and um, it was called by a lot of people. Um, I'm quoting Ars Technica here. Uh, the, as usual, uh, privatecitizen.press. Tell the show notes. Privatecitizen.press slash episode slash 108 for this one. All the links, uh, everything I'm talking about, if you want to read it up. And you should, because you should check your sources. We talked about that on the last episode again. Um, anyway, uh, Ars Technica called it the, quote, most severe vulnerability ever. A lot of people echoed that. Uh, the Washington Post even went so far and uh, kind of ratcheted it up the hyperbole and said it, quote, borders on the apocalyptic. Um, and uh, a lot of, you know, while this was going on on Twitter, a lot of InfoSec people, obviously follow a lot of InfoSec people, uh, were talking about the internet being on fire. This was very ironic, I thought, because uh, looking back on it at the time, Twitter was vulnerable when everybody was talking about this on Twitter and, and, and banging out the memes. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, anyway, I'm drinking Earl Grey once again um, because it is not yet midnight. And uh, so it's still January. So dry January. Uh, once once midnight hits, which is the show will be up by then. Uh, so you'll be, you know, this is uh, behind the scenes uh, pr- stuff. Pretty much I'll be opening a beer, I think. <laughs> I, I need it. Um, yeah, I'm not... Um, I'm not live streaming this show uh, again, uh, just like with the last episode, just down to scheduling. Um, it just wasn't wasn't possible for me. But anyway, so the internet uh, was on fire. Uh, apparently, did the question? It this whole thing um, begs the question: If that was the case, if this is the worst vulnerability ever, you know, now that we are like, you know almost two months on like why didn't the internet implode like why didn't half of the internet go down um we should have was a lot of ransomware attacks crypto miners um i think the belgian ministry of defense got hacked um but like 
you know, there was over the top panic going on, and in in the end, it just doesn't seem to to justify that. And and there's a that's the interesting part about the story, um, I think, um, that I really want to explore here. But I think before we can do that, I will have to explain uh, quickly what Lock for Shell is and how how the vulnerability works. And before I can do that, I have to explain what Lock for J is, and be before I can or like what the problem with it is and before I can do that I probably have to quickly explain application logging because um, I've talked to some people about this in in the past and um, you know if you're not if you're listening to this and you're not like a I mean if you come to this because you know me from Linux Outlaws you probably know more about this stuff than me um, <laughs> but you know if you're not that much of a geek um, you know there's new people all the time I, I, I would like to make this uh, accessible to any so um just just very quickly if you ever you know you've you used software so you you'll have run into errors right there's there's this uh, under windows there's always a pop-up that comes up and says you know whatever code 3001x10127 at memory address whatever we got a problem this is crashing uh you know we're logging this or whatever we're now calling microsoft this kind of thing so applications have logs Right, all applications generally do. Um, while they're being developed, um, usually uh, they log a lot more than in production, as we call it. But even in production applications, so if you anything you use, your your web browser, um, your uh, your email client, anything really keeps a log, right? Because in, in, in the operation of software, things go wrong. It doesn't have to be like fatally wrong, but like things things that are not supposed to happen or that happen in weird ways. And you like to write that to a file um, because if you can, if anybody can get that to the developer at some point, it might help them. Or if you, if your software keeps crashing, you know, you, the developers, if you report this as a bug, they will ask you for a log. And this is what we're talking about. Now, of course, um, all web applications, for example, also keep logs. Like, so if you go to my website, um, if you go to privatecitizen.press, um, this is a uh, site served by a hosting provider called Netlify, and they have logs like every hosting provider. Um, I, I've actually chosen this one because it's very um, it's GDPR compliant and they only keep the logs for 30 days. Um, but you know, so your browser, you go to privatecitizen.press, your browser basically tells, let's call it my web server. Um, I want this website, and then it gives them the gives gives the the server some information as well. Usually, like you know, I'm 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 on Firefox version this whatever Windows or you know this kind of thing, and uh, that gets logged, and your IP address gets logged. For example, this is what you know how tracking on the internet works, um, and generally that gets written, you know, to memory and eventually to a file, and um, usually that's just text, like. For most applications, um, it is just generally just just text. It's just uh, you know, um, the program goes, oh, this guy just contacted me from from this brow this browser version on this operating system, and he f uh, accessed this website, and I served it to him, and everything was all right. That's like a, just called an access log for a web browser, right? And that gets written as a line into a text file. Now there's more. You know, on Linux these days, uh, logs aren't text files anymore. They're complicated databases and fucking cryptographically signed. You know, and at some point, it's all going to be on the blockchain anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's how it generally works. Now, um, 
Java, of course, is a development environment, right? So it's used to write software. And like a lot of development environments, it has modules, you know, like it has programs you can install to do a job for you. If you write a web application, for example, or you write a Java desktop application, and you don't want to write a logger, right? You might you might just need a logger, so you can install log4j. It's kind of like, you know, if you code in Python, which is more down my um, alley, it's like there's logging. I mean, Java has a built-in as well, I'm guessing. But like, you know, Python has that built-in. But if you like use, like, say you're writing a web application, there'll be like frameworks for that. Or there'll be like, you can, if you need special logging, there'll be software like Log4j that you can install. So this is basically a, a module that you can bundle with your software and that will take care of the logging for you, which is very handy. Um, now, Java is a bit of a special case. Um, if you're not into programming, um, I'm going to try to explain this. Java has a, is, is always marketed and has this slogan called write once, run, every, run everywhere, which is largely a, a PR, pretty much a lie. <laughs> but um, it is, so the goal of Java is to be used in all kinds of situations and to be adaptable to anything. And it's, you know, people, some people don't like it, but it's generally, um, I would say it, it, it's, it's achieved that there's lots of stuff written in Java from web applications to, you know, embedded systems, like stuff that's in your router or in your uh, smart home devices, or maybe even your car or your dishwasher these days. Um, because Java is very extensible. It can be very small. It's very modular, so you can you can lots of people use it. Um, Oracle, which has bought Java from Sun Microsystems back in the day, um, has the slogan: "It's the number one development platform for software," um, and it can be used to great success. So Minecraft, um, one of the um, uh, most successful video games of all time, um, was written by a guy called Notch in Java originally. There's still a Java version, which is actually or was vulnerable to log for shell, believe it or not. Um, but you know, now they're most versions that you would get if you installed it uh, on Windows or on your Switch or whatever. They're a new or on your iPhone. Um, they're a different version of Java. Um, the, the, is it the iPhone version is written in Objective C, I think. I don't know if they all are, but they're certainly not Java. But anyway, um, it can be used uh, to great effect. You know, like one guy writing this program that made him insanely rich, writing this little game. So um, Java is everywhere. So with that comes a development philosophy that is built around kind of modules. Um, I, I'm going to call these modules. Um, if you're a Java programmer, you know, bear with me here um so basically in java you can you can you can you can write code you write an app and you bundle that as an app you give people you know people install the java you'll you'll have seen maybe okay if you're if you're young you probably i don't know but like you know 10, 15 years ago, it was very usual to install the Java runtime environment, right? And then you, so if you want to install Minecraft, you need Java on your system that's not bundled with Windows, for example. So you have to install the Java runtime environment. And if you install something like the Minecraft Java version, that it, it, you know, it, it installs that first. Um, and then you have that on your system. So somebody can write a Java app. Um, you know, they're, they're these little jar files. Maybe you've seen that. And you can, you can put that on your system, right? 
but it might actually so log4j is an example um what you actually can do is you can bundle that log4j with your app and you know have one package that people install. but you can also just have like a dependency kind of thing right these days that is um also prevalent with stuff like npm you know node node.js and stuff like that where you just go okay um uh, when you install this app, also install this other package. So install log4j. Um, now this this will become uh, important later on. But anyway, what's the problem with log4j? The problem is it just doesn't log just it, it doesn't simply write logs as text into a file. It's trying to be smart about it, and it's doing that in a very 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 dumb way. That I mean anybody like me, and I'm not the only one. There's actually journalists who known you know very well-known tech journalists that had the same um reaction and wrote columns about this who were like i've never seen like i've never looked at log4j but like if you don't so if you close to it if you use it there's a german saying um man sieht den wald vor lauter bäumen nicht um you can't see the forest for all the trees i think that's a is that an english saying i don't know did we translate that did they steal that from us who cares um you know it's kind of like that um if you've been using this, you probably never thought about it that way. But if you've never seen this log4j application, you look at it, and you know people explain this vulnerability to you, you go like, "It does what? Are they serious?" So what it actually does is it there is little um, there's text basically that gets expanded, right? So you can do can some in if you write into the text file um, or if the the, the input that gets that is supposed to get written into the log, right, includes like some weird square curly brackets, whatever, that says like Java underscore version or whatever. I'm just, you know, basically making this up. The, I, the details are not really that important right now. Um, you can read all those up. I've, I've got links in the show notes. If you want to the nitty gritty technical details, you can do that. Um, but it's just not what this show's about. But like you, you can, you know, there's you can you can write weird like code things in curly brackets into the text that's supposed to land in the log. And what will actually land in the log is not this curly bracket Java underscore version. It will write the actual Java version that you're using into the log. And you can see why that's really handy. The problem is, um, depending on your application or pretty much in any application, you don't control as the software developer um, or as the person running this software, you might not control what gets written in the log. This is very clear for a web server, right? So if you visit my web server, um, your, um, your browser goes like, okay, I'm Mozilla Firefox version 85.69.1, right? But it could also just, it can, it can write anything in there, right? So what gets written into a log, it might be controlled by somebody on the other end. Um, in case of web server, some guy on the internet, which is always dangerous. Now, if you're just writing text, that's okay, because the text is not meant to be executed. But if you do little shit like expanding these weird little things, then you're getting into the territory where you're executing things, right? And, you know, Java version doesn't seem, to, you know, doesn't sound malicious. But there's there's a problem. There's there's an interplay basically here with this um, functionality with another functionality that is in Java, uh, and together 
um, they become a problem. There's, because there's something called the JNDI, the Java Naming and Directory Interface, which does a lot of things, but let's sum it up like this pretty much. Um, the Java developers, um, so, you know, software, you execute software, right? Um, you, you, you give a, you give, you write software and you give like an executable to your user and your user executes that. And you often, almost always, um, have the situation where you need like a config file, right? You, you don't hard code certain variables, certain things you want to do into the code. You write that in a config file because you might want to change it. And usually you have to bundle that with your application. So the user starts the application, the application goes, okay, there's a file called uh, config.ini or whatever it's called. Let's read that. Uh, so I have my, you know, I have my configuration when I'm executing here. And the Java developers thought, wouldn't it be great? This is always how trouble starts in software. Wouldn't it be great if we could load this config file from the network? So let's say um, you're in a huge company and you're installing software in every client computer uh, and and you have a config file and that might change, right? There might be stuff you want to change as a um, company that that gets reflected in the app every time it get, gets executed. So instead of copying this fucking config file to every client and then having to copy that, I don't know how, with a guy running around with a USB stick every time, let's have one file on a central server and then whenever somebody starts this app in the company network, it just grabs that from that server. Sounds great, right? Awesome. The problem is the network is the network. The network is not defined if, you, if you're talking software. Um, it's very hard to define, oh, the network as my company network. The network's the network. And they actually, I think they did this on purpose. This thing works over the internet. So your Java application, you go, oh, let me get my config file from, you know, oracle.com, maybe, or whatever. Whoever made the software I'm executing. Then in itself, it's not a problem, or it could be a problem, but it's not, you know, you can see how that is, is, a, is a sane thing to do. Um, because you would be like, okay, we're only like, if we are fetching a config file from like a server, we got to make damn sure that we control that server. As long as we can, you know, if you go oracle.com slash config slash config.ini, uh, you know, and you Oracle, you control that file. You just have to make damn sure that you keep control of that fucking server and that file. If you do, all's probably fine. You know, if you, if the, you know, yeah, that could be man in the middle attacks. You need to secure the connect, whatever. Let's, let's say you did that. Everything's fine. This is the thing lots of applications do, so it's not far-fetched. And it's certainly not insane. What is insane is that you can use that JNDI in all kinds of situations. Including the situation where log4j, specifically log4j2, uh, <laughs> it's complicated, um, does this string extension right where it goes like i don't know java version it can also do things like oh uh grab me that config file from that server on the internet but remember how we are expanding and executing here is stuff that comes that we don't control that in case of a web server a situation like this a random guy on the internet wrote in you know has control of 
right? So basically what this means is you, if you have a web server, for example, that runs log4j, you can just write into your, uh, you know, when you open the connection to the server, the thing that gets written, the log file that gets written when you just ping that server and request a random website, right? Um, you just write in there, basically, hey, log4j, go to this server, uh, fetch this file. And you can do it in such a way that the, the basically this log4j um, in the process of of getting of of interpreting that string that the malicious guy on the internet or the random guy on the internet gave it, it executes this command. And so you can just put malicious Java code on your web server and go to another server on the internet and go, hey, put this into your log. And when it interprets that, it goes to your server, downloads the malicious code, and executes it. And this is especially dangerous because logging software usually has admin privileges. Um, it's very complicated why that is. Um, in some situations, it's not like that. Um, there's some Linux situations where that is certainly not the case. But generally, it is also in Linux, but also in Windows. Um, for very specific operating system reasons, you know, basically the logging software has to very cl closely interact with the operating system kernel and has often can't do it from user space. So what you have here is a remote code execution with admin privileges and it's a zero day. So this is the worst. This is why it says a CVSS score of 10. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the worst security vulnerability in history and I'm going to explain later why that is, but it's certainly the worst category of security vulnerabilities you can have. And the interesting thing is this does not even, like when it affects servers, um, it's not like somebody has to log in or there has to be like a back and forth. Literally, you, have, you, can, you can go to a server and send it a GET request. So the first thing you do to a web server and that will own it. It's very hard to defend against that. Um, but also, client software is vulnerable. So uh, it was figured out that Java Minecraft edition is um, vulnerable if you in a Java uh, in a Minecraft game uh, in a version that's vulnerable. You can just write this line into the chat. There's an in-game chat, right? T. Then you write your little message, enter, and it just shows that in your client or on the. You can be on a server, right, and with Minecraft. Uh, what that does is because chat messages are locked <laughs> and Java uses log, uh, uh, Minecraft uses log4j, yeah, that will get executed. Exactly. So this is why this vulnerability is, uh, it's, it's horrendous. And you look at it and you go like, okay, it's somewhat of a connection of like situations, right? You have a very powerful logging system that does weird things it just doesn't write the log like it does um it just writes it like it comes in and then you have this jndi thing i mean these are two very bad ideas um you know the jndi just fetching stuff from the internet and just basically extending java basically what this thing does is um you can tell it to get random code from the internet, untrusted code, and then extend your your Java locally with that, which is could be malware, right? Um, 
So that's a bad idea. Okay, but that can be like secured, as I said. But the the actual the really bad problem in Log4J is that this fucking logging software just doesn't just not simply like like it it ex, it, it accepts untrusted input from an untrusted source and it does execution on that and you should never do that in software that's the worst thing like that's how you know that that's how like database you know how you know drop table little bobby tables that's how this kind of thing like if you write if you write a forum software you have people logging on that you don't trust and they will write text right so so what will happen is they have a text box there were a text in there and you need to save that in a database and then retrieve it again and show it on the screen if you do that wrong and if anywhere in this line you of, of things you need to do with this text you start executing that or you like you need a you need a hard separation of this is text from an untrusted source we need this needs to stay text Right. Even if this text is the code of the programming language that the database uses, or that my software uses, that I that I'm that this forum is written in, this needs to stay text. It can never be interpreted as code. That is a very important thing. This is how a lot of very bad security vulnerabilities happen. And here, it's kind of yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of one of these. Um, so that's log for shell. I hope I explained that. It's a very complicated kind of thing, but I hope I explain why. It's also so mind blowing. If you never looked into this and you look into you look at it, you go like, "They're doing what? What the f- what the fuck is going on? How how?" It's like one of these things where just like one guy writes a thing, and it all looks good from where he's going because he wants to achieve a goal and it achieves his goal, and then another guy comes along and says, "Ah, oh, we have this software and we build that in." And nobody along the line, because they're all too close to the trees to see the forest, um, or they're all too close to the forest to see whatever it is, <laughs> um, they uh, they never see the problem they've just introduced. And it, this is why often when you do pen test, no, uh, yeah, pen testing as well, but like when you do security audits, you need you need a guy with a fresh perspective. Right. This is why you can't audit your own code. You need some other guy who knows patterns of, of, of security vulnerabilities that happen a lot. And you need to look for these patterns and stuff like that. And you, you need to look at stuff like this with a fresh eye. If you don't, you end up with something like this. Now, the big question is, that's a really horrible vulnerability. It's in a shitload of software. Um, so at one point... Um, he, uh, EY, which is Ernst and Young, which is like this um, business consulting conglomerate, huge. You know, basically, the guys who didn't <laughs> who didn't see the Wirecard wire uh, debacle. We talked about them uh, early on in the show, um, but they partnered with some cloud security company. I think they're called Wiz, and I think they estimated ninety eight percent of all corporate cloud environments are vulnerable to this. Because, like, the problem is, like, there was fucking Apple had this in their software. Like, you know, and they're writing it, they're using a whole different um, programming language and stuff. But, like, 
software is so complex even today it gets more complex every time every minute and you have all these cloud environments you have all the software that interacts and there just needs somewhere there just needs to be log4j somewhere in there it doesn't even have to be in your log server maybe it's like uh, in a web server maybe it's like you know a software maybe your web server at some point hands off these access logs or whatever to to another software and that sends it off to another software and that uses log4j or whatever to pass it or whatever right and then you own like it could be somewhere in your software stack it's really hard to find um and it's everywhere sorry i'm I'm banging my mic why am i what am i doing it's almost like i haven't done 107 episodes before <laughs> um yeah, it's gonna be worse when I'm off a month and then I'm coming back. It's gonna be it's gonna be the first one oh nine is gonna be a disaster. I'm calling it now. Um yeah, so um it's everywhere and this is a horrible vulnerability. It's really easy to execute. Like if you're talking on on the web, you just need to send like one request. Um it's it's trivial. Um you don't have to jump through any hoops at all. Um you can try this in like you know, login forms, whatever. Um, you might hit some software somewhere and exploit that. It's a bit hard, like, okay, it's a bit harder to actually exploit the because you need to then figure out what software you're actually hitting and then you need to tailor, like, the Java, your your malicious code to actually do something with that software, right, and, and, and actually own the system. But, you know, it's relative, as far as CVSS 10 vulnerabilities go, it's 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 relatively easy to exploit and Java's everywhere. So So why didn't the whole internet burn down? And uh, that's a really important question we want to answer in this uh, next segment. So I got to disappoint, you know, because I really, I don't think I can answer that. <laughs> I don't think there is an answer. But I'm going to give my best to elucidate you. Um, this is a word my wife likes to use in... Um, in in uh, scientific uh, publications, and I kind of it's it's kind of stuck. <laughs> it's very medieval, I feel, but it's kind of nice. I'm gonna try to elucidate you in this as best as I can. Um, so why didn't the, the whole internet immediately crash and burn? So um, there's not really facts about this. Like there's not really a, a definite answer, but we can try. Um, one thing I think we can say that is most likely true is that because everybody fucking panicked and everybody said, like, the whole news cycle was just the worst vulnerability ever, which that already makes me make me go, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to report on this. Oh my god, it's it's hype, right? And it was hype to some extent. I think I think it was overdone. I think it's hyperbole, but that's how the news cycle works these days. We can't, you know, I've talked about this a lot of times. Uh, it's just fucking journalism. Um, you can't, you can't. Yeah, there's no way around that at this point. But anyway, I think that the the panic did one good thing. What it did is it put everybody uh, on alert, right? It pretty much galvanized ev- anyone who knows at least a little bit what they are doing when it comes to security, right? If you have a company and they have actual people whose job it is. Uh, to secure uh, the software uh, that that you use, and 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 they are not complete idiots. Then they saw this and they were like, "Oh, holy shit! I need to cancel all holidays. I need. We need to figure this out." Um, so what basically happened is these people jumped at it and and fixed it, like in 
in some cases in, in a matter of hours certainly within a day or you know big i mean every cloud i mean is your uh, Google Cloud Platform, uh, Amazon Web Services, everybody was affected. Twitter was affected, right? Um, so people who know what they were doing um, were very quick at fixing this. So basically, I would say the big players, you know, everybody who knows what they're doing, everybody who has standard operating procedures in place for something like this, did their best to fix their shit. And I think they generally succeeded. Um we're not quite sure if, you know, people think they're secure if they actually found every instance of, like, fucking Log4j or where this could impact them. Um, that's an, that's another question. But I think generally, at least the big guys, the guys who actually know that security uh, is important, um, did did their job and, and did this very quickly. So I think that's why the very, you know, the big impact wasn't there. There was certainly, you know big companies um, and, and there were outages and big companies affected and stuff like that, especially with rams ransomware because the ransomware guys jumped on this like nobody's business, of course. Um, so that was um, certainly a, uh, I mean, that certainly happened, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been, especially if you're listening to these, the worst vulnerability ever. Um I think that is not true. We we can say now um, where we stand today uh, at the end of January um, for the impact, right? So I think um, even with this vulnerability being as bad as I just explained, um, the impact wasn't, for example, as bad as NotPetya, where they just owned um, the update mechanism of some random Ukrainian tax software that nobody had heard about. But it turns out if you do business in Ukraine, you need to use it and they own the update mechanism. So they owned that, you know, MeDoc, it was called. And then, you know, a huge company like, like Maersk went off, literally had to work with paper, pen and paper for two weeks, went completely offline. I mean, this swept across Europe, uh, um, lots of companies affected, um, billions and billions of euros uh, in, 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 in money lost over this, uh, production halted, all this kind of stuff. Um, and we really didn't see that with Log4Shell. Um, possibly because everybody reacted so fast, um, but also because, I guess, you know, the, the MeDoc, I mean, that was also zero day, but we found out about it because it was being exploited right in a big way um because this thing that looked like ransomware at the time but this most likely was a state-sponsored attack um that was just masquerading as uh, you know another uh, petya this ransomware uh malware um right so so the attack was already ongoing whereas this as far as we know you know was found by some good guys and then quickly reported um so i think that that goes part way to explain it now there's a theory i mean the question is what about smaller um companies and organizations right i mean there there will be thousands hundreds tens of hundreds of thousands of companies and organizations out there that do not have the, the resources or do not have security teams like this who or who just simply don't have the know-how to find like lots of countries don't know their software stack they don't know like 
I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a relatively big router company who doesn't know that their router operating system uses log4j, right? Because that's uh, just how they work. Um, it will just be some random company in China that made this and they know, but, you know, they've already moved on and they're doing other stuff now and uh, who cares. Um, so I think there's still a lot of vulnerable systems out there. Um, I found it very interesting that um, when I researched this, I really couldn't find out how many. Often um, with something like this, you'll have, you know, there's obviously scan systems and, you know, people will scan it. And, and I've, I found a lot of antivirus companies who were talking about the active scans by other people they were detecting, but not the vulnerabilities. Um, I think it's probably uh, hard to figure out, right? Because you have some software that is just some software that might use log4j in the backend, but you don't know. You really only know once you try owning it, right? So, um, and I've 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 seen several um, experts on this, you know, with antivirus companies and 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 malware malware analysts saying that they believe that all the targets that were automatically, you know, that you could basically scan the internet, just shoot some code randomly, and then infect people with ransomware, that th those are probably all, we've seen all of those, they're probably all infected already. And the, um, the, the harder ones where you actually have to tailor and you don't really know are they vulnerable and you basically have to go in manually, um, those those we don't know those there's probably still a lot of vulnerable systems there um but we don't know and there's this theory um within within the infosec community which you know i i think is not unlikely but you know the question is how much of it is true um we don't know how many systems basically were backdoored right because if you know what you're doing and you're not some ransomware do to just you know want to make a quick buck or whatever if you're really like a a, a, a russian uh russian hacker right um and and you uh you you're, you're there and you just want to you just want to hack right you, you you work for uh vladimir putin right and and you're there you know and you're ah, oh, I've ah, oh, I, I found a, I found, I found lock for shell right here. Uh, we uh, should, I should do Russian accent. Uh, I, I look at this, Vladimir. I found, I found uh, uh, lock, lock for shell uh, vulnerability in this, in, in this. Uh, I'm sorry, Evgeny. Uh, in this, in this server, uh, we should, uh, we should go attack. And then what we do is we, we attack with lock for shell and we get in system. And we don't do anything to tell them off, right? Because we are FSB sponsored. Uh, we work, we have meeting every morning over Zoom call with uh, Vladimir Putin, right? And we say, Vlad, what should we do today? And Vlad says, uh, this, this, this Annalena Baerbock woman in Germany, I really don't like. Let's hack, let's hack some systems there. So we go into Germany and we find lock for shell vulnerability. We go in, you know, we go into server. Uh, we we hack server we um we install hidden backdoor and then we do nothing right it's called establishing a bridgehead right so you go in the network you basically you you go in there you you you're in and then what you do is you actually create a backdoor that nobody knows about because it's your secret Russian FSB mojo and 
what happens then is you know the admin goes around like half an hour later or even a day later whatever they go oh they also find this vulnerability they patch the lock for shell vulnerability and they then think their system is secure but meanwhile you've already put a fucking vector in there that they don't know about and they can't search for because they don't know about it they don't even know what it looks like so they think their systems are secure and because they don't want to reinstall everything like you would do if you you know, if uh, if you uh, you know you you knew I had this vulnerability, you knew it was open for like ten hours or whatever. You know, so the Russians, the, the fucking uh, goddamn Ruskies, they could have gotten in. So you need to reinstall all your systems, but nobody ever does that. So um, so how many systems? The Russian hackers, or the Chinese hackers, or the German hackers, or the the cyber, the German cyberware, or the the whatever the cyber cyber command uh, in the U.S. How many systems are, is everybody in now? Right? What do like how many systems were owned in this? Maybe even in the first wave, or even are owned now that are still vulnerable, and then they're just quietly installing backdoors and then you do nothing for a while and let the dust settle right wait for a month or two you know and so the question is is this a situation where now for years um there'll be like hacks right and there'll be like uh what was the what was the big one oh god i've already forgotten about it um jesus what was the thing we were talking about uh, on the show uh, like earlier, uh, oh god, the the biggest one, the most sophisticated attack, episode sixty one. What what was this? Uh, uh, solar winds, yeah, stuff like that, right? Where you're like, um, oh god, that's only a year ago, and I already can't fucking remember. I'm getting old, everybody. I'm I'm I'm, I'm quickly um, going towards my forties here. You know, I'll I'll. It's all downhill from here. But anyway, you know, that they'll be like, oh, cyber war, uh, the fucking Russians. Goddamn uh, Ruskies. They're everywhere. Wapachki. <laughs> Sorry, I just love those, those uh, escape from Tarkov, Tarkov soundbite. Um, this is so good. Cheeky bricky, palchik wicking. Um, you know, I, is it now a case where for years there'll be like a hack and then if it actually gets investigated properly it's not all just the propaganda oh it was the Russians um, then we'll see oh this was actually there so they got in with Lock for Shell back in December right uh, December 2021 they got in with that and then, then, then they just played that for a while and then, then they started attacking everything um, yeah we don't know I mean um I've written in my notes here for the show. It's a tired old cliche, uh, yeah. But I feel fear it uh, suits the situation well. Um, only time will tell. Um, I I really don't know. Um, I I feel like it's yeah. You know, we'll definitely see that in 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 some situations. Um, but I also feel like the the oh, it's the worst vulnerability ever has was was clearly. Um, a factor of the news cycle and it, it, it was overblown and it was hyperbole. Now, I generally don't like that because I don't like PR, I don't like propaganda, I don't like fear-based reporting. Um, in this case, it might have actually, you know, scaring everybody into doing something. Um, you know, IT security is not like the fucking virus pandemic where everybody's fucking scared already to begin with. Um, we still 
have the problem in IT security that a lot of people just like they just take security. Um, you know, like it's just a, um, especially with companies, it's um, it's it's just a factor of being um, of you know of a of a capitalist system, right? Where you're like, um, uh, they don't understand that it actually pays to spend money on security. That's the thing, like security experts, you know, infosec people will tell you um, from as, as long as the day is long, right? Um, that you have that with C-level executives and stuff. And so maybe sometimes you need to fucking scare them. The problem is, um, the problem I see coming here for the news media is, or everybody, but like, you know, this being perpetuated by the media is that if you keep doing that, it's like the boy who cried wolf scenario right it's uh it's it will um it'll it'll fuck you over because you know people then you know if you do this two or three times then they're like yeah remember lock for shell you said the whole internet's gonna explode it's the worst vulnerability ever nothing really happened so why why are you panicking that much right um but i think that's just you know uh, as as uh, as one of my favorite streamers, um, Deadly Slop, who's from Canada, always says, "That's just the way she goes." But <laughs> apparently, that's that's how they talk in the Maritimes in Canada. I've, I've got no idea. Um, I think uh, listener, I'm gonna we're gonna talk about him in a bit. Steve B will have to chime in and and say how how realistic that is. So if that's just the the piss take, like me. Like me doing ridiculous German Nazi accent, yeah? Um, anyway, um, that's that's luck for Chell. That's what we know about it. Um, I hope um, this brought some knowledge to you that you ha didn't have before. And uh, if you uh, are a Java developer, you probably want to yell at me now for some reason. And um, we welcome. I welcome that on the show. And uh, that's what the feedback section is for. And uh, speaking of the feedback section, who's moves? I teased this on the previous episode. This is um, so in, in episode 106, when I was like, let's wind up the coronavirus discussions. Um, I just asked people um, before, I, before I left, I bucket off. Um, you know how they saw the whole pandemic situation. Are they afraid? And uh, we, this this developed into a nice thread on the forum. Nice little thread. I thought um, I'm gonna read all of this out now. I think um, I thought this was all very insightful and interesting perspectives. So we had Basil Will, who's from Australia. Um, jumping in first uh, to answer your question i do not have the fear that others others have about sars-cov-2 definitely agree that there's more fear out there than necessary what i understand about omicron is it is more contagious but milder in symptoms especially as i'm vaccinated thank you that's that's the current consensus well interestingly that was the consensus from the beginning that was what the who said in the beginning i looked it up and then everybody was like oh but no fear 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 turns out that was right uh, or you know it's, it still seems that's right um anyway by the world continues i'm planning on getting a medical exemption for wearing masks masks as it is likely to be required during work and it is not something i can cope with all day i will however likely wear my mask for as long as i can stand to appear to 
appeased the fearful. I'm in the same situation. Uh, I'm not going to get a medical exemption because it's very hard in Germany, but I can't stand it either. Um, I don't know. Um, Bezer will has probably has some, um, you know, maybe has some health, actual health reason for this. Um, I just can't stand wearing a mask. Uh, my wife makes fun of me because of that, of course, but she works in a lab, <laughs> you know, very used to wearing masks, um, uh, you know, on doctors and shit like that. Like she's used to that. But I just, I just fucking, I, I always say, like, if I wanted to wear that fucking thing the whole day, I would have become a nurse or a doctor. Um, and I don't want to. Um, so I, uh, but I, I always wear, you know, I only wear it to appease the fearful, uh, which is basically when I go out and, you know, go to a restaurant or whatever. And when I can't stand it anymore, I just don't go out anymore. I, I, I've severely limited my, well, I go out into public places where I have to. Right? Um, so ever since the beginning of the pandemic, I've got gotten quite fit because I've replaced my, um, let's go out drinking with people or do things with people. Um, because at first you couldn't, and now I could, but I'd have to wear a mask in a lot of situations. I've just replaced that with, I'm just going to go running. Um, and, you know, these days with, with 9.5 kilograms of weights. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's 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 my situation. But, I you know, I feel with better, better will there. Uh, Redeemer F, who's uh, originally from Syria and now resides in the Czech Republic. I think this is important for what he says later um he says uh am i afraid it's a good question especially that till now i'm still unvaccinated the horror he says that uh so the question uh might as well be am i afraid of the vaccine i'm still unvaccinated because i don't think that i'm of the risk group and that most probably I would be able to resist it. But I'm also not 100% sure. I don't see that there's any actual information about why do, why do people react differently to it? The thing is that the thing that I hear is I should be afraid and that I should get vaccinated and that's it. Um, I think, you know, why do people react differently? Obviously, I'm not a doctor and this is not medical advice, <laughs> but yes, you know, uh, but I think that's just the, you know, your immune system. Why, why do I have hay fever? Right. And other people don't. Um, I think the immune system is, we would, I mean, we know this, uh, if she actually looks at uh, scientific research, you know this, but I think people are, this is generally hitting the mainstream now that we know a hell of a lot less about the immune system than we've been made to believe in the public, you know, in the, just the general, what you get told at school and stuff like, you know, we, we know fuck all about the immune system in some cases. It's kind of like the brain. You know, I always laugh when people go on about artificial intelligence. Like my wife does research with neurons, and um, now in the heart, used to be in the brain. Um, in in her, um, uh, in her, you know, when she was doing her uh, PhD thesis and stuff like that. Um, like people have no fucking idea. Like we know nothing about the brain. Like we know we don't understand the most basic functions in the brain. We like my wife researches neurons in the heart which are very few um for a long time we didn't even know that they exist how uh, existed how they work we thought they were part of the autonomous nervous system turns out it's much more complicated we don't like there's very f little neurons in the heart we don't know we know very little about those let alone the brain you know and and people are always like yeah artificial intelligence will make machines think like humans we fucking don't know how humans think if they're gonna you know if you have a tumor and they, they're going to cut out your tumor. They're going to open up your brain. And then they're just going to, um, uh, you know, uh, anesthetize parts first to see, you know, the, the thing you've seen on TV where, like, you know, 
let you uh, somebody plays a guitar they let them play the guitar in the fucking operating theater with the head cut open to see if like if we cut this out of your brain will you still be able to play guitar because we fucking don't know because everybody's fucking brain is different so yeah i, I think we just don't know um anyway uh, going on with what redeemer is saying here um uh but you know also i i completely agree with you i, I you know the one of i mean one of the reasons i fight for i mean i fight for people you know vaccination being that choice because i think that's right it's morally right it's it's logical um it makes sense um but i also um do that because i think you're right like uh for a lot of people the only thing they hear is fear or as other people saying you know you're hurting me if you don't get vaccinated and i think that's a shitty reason for having to do a magical procedure anyway redeemer continues initially i had in mind to wait until there's more data about the vaccine but now it seems that it's not just a one-time business now you have to accept the vaccine into your life, as Adam Curry puts it. From the look of it, I feel Adam Curry from No Agenda. Um, from the look of it, I feel that I will be forced to get vaccinated to continue normal life, and I don't feel particularly happy about it. But it will not be the end of the world. It's also kind of how I feel. Uh, I object to it on a principled basis because I feel like I don't feel you know I, I got it three times, so I don't you know. And I've been I laid out twelve days, but you know I mean that's kind of read play video games whatever you know there's worse things in the great grand scheme of things but like i object to it because it's just so dumb right because it doesn't achieve what it's supposed to achieve and it's just like um you're just forced right and it just makes no sense for you personally and it's just i just object to stuff like that um Ujima says so in the end i don't feel particularly driven by fear but on the other hand i completely agree that fear is being used as a way to drive people's behavior uh necros uh, that's yevgeny from russia uh, says i'll join the others i'm not afraid and i felt no need to be afraid too much from the very start um you have to remember that Yevgeny actually uh, was in a coma because he got he actually got COVID nineteen, and he was like fucking on a on a um, ah, I was gonna say respirator. What's the fucking why why can't I remember the the term? Jesus, the fucking the machine uh, uh, um, ECMO. He was he was on ECMO, which is a horrible thing to do. Uh, but anyway, so so you know you gotta keep that in mind. Um, uh, this this is a very very clear thinking insane person anybody else like who who, who got this bad a situation would now like a lot i feel like a lot of people would be no you need to get vaccinated because he you know he originally did get vaccinated we talked about this on the show previously um because he wrote in um you need to get vaccinated. Look what happened to me. He's very sane, and you know I, I just appreciate that about him. Uh, he says, however, mine's a very partic particular situation. First, me and my wife didn't give a damn, but then she got pregnant with our daughter and got really over-the-top virus-avoiding. She was taking no bloody chance in hell. She would step three meters off the path to avoid the oncoming people walking in the park. I decided that all things considered, I would blame her and would comply. For nine months, we had no guests in our house. We met friends and family only outside and kept our distance and so on. After which, you know, you also have to think this was, I guess, pretty early in the pandemic, right? So um, we just didn't know at that point. So, you know, can't really blame her. Also, you know, pregnancy and becoming parents this uh, weird things to people they get very 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 careful um 
which I can't understand because I never had a kid. So I just there's a disclaimer there. Um, and I don't plan to. After our daughter was born, we returned back to sanity. And now a year later, we've all had the infection and see no reason to be scared at all anymore. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, you're like, I think uh, the worst thing that happened to you, uh, you know, this side of dying. So <laughs> he's like, you know, it's like when you, once you get shot, you're just like, yeah, well, you know, it's not as bad as people say. Uh, I, I survived. Um, as for people around me, Russia seems to be divided into two camps. The absolute insane pro-vax, how dare you not vaccinate, you're putting my life at risk, people that are so scared, they support mandatory vaccination and executing the refuses immediately. And, you know, talking about Russia, that is probably less a joke than uh, we would think uh, over here in Germany. And the totally bonkers anti-vax, don't you come near me or my kids, you 5G chipped scum. Um, even if the thing they injected you with is not contagious, with, with which it is, the radiation you're emitting can't be good. People that sincerely believe COVID is a hoax altogether. And in total accordance with the hundreds of year old Russian tradition, the vast majority of people join neither camp. I mean, this starts, starts with with the czars really didn't it um keep their mouths shut and only confide to closest friends so there's no telling what the masses really think i mean in the russian situation just because the czars would put you in camps and then stalin would put you in camps although i do think uh anyway uh he continues the government and the press and independent press doesn't exist here do their best to scare people as seems to be the case in other countries too yeah that's what i was going to say right so this whole situation that there's like there's the insane vax people, pro-vax people, and there's the insane anti-vax people, and there's no sane argument. And when, like me, you go like, yeah, but I have like a civil rights argument that I think is valid. No! You immediately get put into one camp, right? You you can't be, there's no middle ground. And I think that's not a Russian phenomenon. It happens all, I've seen this in the US, I've seen this in the UK, I see this in Germany, it's happening everywhere. Um, also, he says, they really independent press doesn't exist here which is something you know as a journalist in germany you get told this a lot like you know yeah i have this map you know with all the countries in the world and how bad the press situation is and you always oh yeah russia is so bad and and putin is basically a, a fascist dictator and blah 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 that being said the outcome here is exactly the same thing Right on the paper, Germany has like the fucking freest press, and we have the biggest press freedoms. So why is it that the outcome is the same thing? The press just just regurgitates what the government says. It's the same thing. And if you're like, if you have a different opinion, you get shouted down, or you just like, yeah, it's it's the same. It's it's literally the same as in Russia. Um, Personally, I think the pandemic is the new terrorism. For twenty odd years, uh, it became obvious after nine eleven. But has been in action long before that. The global terrorism uh, was the big threat that demanded sacrificing everyone's right to privacy, dignity, and self-respect. The threat looked scary enough to a big enough number of people that the sacrifices that sacrifices were made. Looks like that threat is going out of fashion. I think I talked about that on the show at some point. And we're having pandemics now to the same extent. Not as much the current pandemic, judging by the latest WHO communiques, it's ending in the near future where it's going endemic, right? So like just like the flu. <laughs> uh, as the immediate future ones, to which judging by the same WHO communiques, we should now dedicate all our efforts to prepare for. Yeah, and if that 
doesn't if that fails it's going to be global warming you know which is what mike and i talked with mike about and we're going to talk more about if everything goes according to plan um but yeah i would even extend that i think uh before that was the cold war right we had the cold war then that ended that threat was gone then it was terrorism even though the the, the, the funny thing is the terrorism existed before that right during the Cold War, we had left-wing terrorism in Germany. We already had bombings by Islamic terrorists uh, in the West. Uh, we had, you know, the IRA. We had all kinds. Of, there was terrorism before, but it wasn't a big threat. But as the Cold War ended, I'm going to say they and start sounding like a really bad conspiracy theorist. Sign me up with uh, get me canceled like Joe Rogan here. Um, you know, they needed a new threat, and, and, and that was then terrorism, and now it's the pandemic. I very much agree. I agree with almost everything, uh, Yevgeny says here. This is why I always basically include his feedback, because he's this, a, a very smart man, and he can, uh, he can, uh, he can also uh, get his points across very well, um, you know, and, you know, this, it's, it's, uh, it's also not his first language, so it's 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 pretty uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, anyway, Redeemer F comes back and basically said the same thing. Well, well said, and and then he says, "Me and my family being in a foreign country with no active social life, it was relatively easy to comply with social distancing. Now I'm still working mostly from home. I think he's in a tech business. Uh, my wife is not working. Only the daughters are going to school. Thank God. So we didn't get infected and I'm still wondering how it would go. Yeah, I have, I have the same situation even though my wife works in a hospital and in the middle of the pandemic she was working in two hospitals. <laughs> like when it was kicking off and everybody was like we had the lockdowns. She being a health professional, she actually worked in two hospitals at once across the country. It was going back and forth and i mean she's literally she's still basically well one's a lab it's a university hospital so she's all over the place i mean as far as we can tell we haven't gotten gotten it um we had a thing last we one of her colleagues got probably omicron uh and uh well his wife got it and then he got it and uh and, and, and my wife thought she had it too she actually had a pcr test done from work which you know in her case that kind of makes sense she's in a hospital you know it's pays to be careful but apparently she 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 was negative so i say apparently because apparently they're so busy that they're not they they have the policy that if they don't contact you you're negative which seems a horrible you know talking about crimson tide last episode that's kind of like that 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 just that's just like if you think militarily or whatever like you think like a, a dependable you want to you want a dependable solution for this kind of thing this is not how you to do it like, if you think with the mind of a security professional, you're like, no, no, you should have positive confirmation. You shouldn't be like, if if I have no message, I'm fine. It's kind of like the submarine and the message gets lost and then you're fucked. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, uh, Redeemer continues. But what infuriates me is the attitude that I, being unvaccinated... Uh, is a threat to the vaccinated. One friend argued that the issue is the risk of to overload the medical system if people refuse to get vaccinated. And for this, he's for mandating it. So that's an argument I hear a lot because that's doctors uh, are using this argument a lot. And I, you know, to some extent, I agree with them. I, you know, they're working in hospitals. They know. Um, I just think 
they are right to a certain extent. This argument is right to a certain extent, but I've talked about this on the show before. It infuriates me because, you know, as a doctor, this is kind of like the forest and the trees again. You know, they're so close to the issue. They're seeing problems in their hospital, but they're not seeing the bigger political picture. This infuriates me because we had now two years, um, like I would say to fix the medical system, but maybe we can't, but we haven't tried and this is not only Germany. I mean, this is the same is same as in the UK, the same as in, in in the US, as far as I can tell. Everywhere is probably the same in Russia. We didn't fucking. Um, so the idea is, hey, there's a pandemic. We have a threat that we haven't faced before that our medical system is not set up to deal with. What's the no-brainer here? Try to get the medical system set up better. And they're not doing that. And then they're saying, now you need to get vaccinated because the medical system is at risk. And I'm going, what have you done for the... What, what the, You, Mr. Politician, that say people now have to get fucking in line or in the camps and get force vaccinated, right? What have you done to fix the medical system? Why have, why have you sat on your ass for two years? That's the thing that infuriates me. Anyway, um, we had a last... Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up the segment and the show with that. We had a there's a last post from Steve B, who's from Canada. Uh, talked about him. Um, that's just the way she goes. That's that's the way she goes, bud. Uh, I think the whole he's and I, I, I don't think he's from the Maritimes. I think the whole thing uh, is starting to unravel. Countries such as England, Ireland, and the Czech Republic are walking back their mandates, which is interesting because. My uh, YouTube, I think I talked about this last episode, right? Or like the, the actually 206, uh, 206, 106. I don't know. But like I've, I've seen on YouTube, I've just seen relentless, like I don't watch TV anymore. So YouTube is my, you know, that's where the mainstream media puts their videos as well. They're like, oh, panic, panic, panic. And now it's suddenly, hey, Denmark, Denmark, Denmark's opening up. The Netherlands are opening up. Should we do that too? And so I think, yeah, it's definitely starting to unravel a little bit. The, the narrative, as No Agenda would say. Anyway, Steve P says, Canada, on the other hand, has ramped up their mandates, which, you know, Germany tried to do as well before this kind of changed, which currently appears to be backfiring rather spectacularly. I have commented before on some of the mind-blowing lack of logic in Canada, such as you cannot work in healthcare anymore if, you, if you're not vaccinated. I mean, this is not a canary. Canadian thing, same in Germany, uh, or they wanted to get there. But you can, and then I figured oh, it was a bad idea. But you can continue to work in healthcare if you're vaccinated and have a current positive COVID test. Yeah, I mean, in Germany you have the thing. Uh, they just, I mean, this was like last week or whatever. I mean, I'm gonna stop talking about this topic generally. Uh, but you know, within this feedback section, let me just uh, have this little anecdote. Um, <laughs> They had a decision, uh, you know, when the minister presidents of the of the um, federal states get together with the with the federal government and they decide, you know, on the COVID, they do this regularly. Yeah. They had a new decision where they said, okay, if you are in a household with somebody, so me and my wife, let's say, and let's say she will get sick and we know that she gets SARS-CoV-2, um, then she has to quarantine, right? And I would have to quarantine with her. And the new rule is, unless I got the booster shot, then I don't have to. Which makes no fucking sense. Makes no sense at all. Because even the, the everybody is now recognizing that it doesn't stop the spread, right? 
if I'm vaccinated. I'm just going to get it. I'm probably going to spread it, but I, I won't even notice. It'll be worse than me being unvaccinated because then I at least have symptoms and people would notice. Otherwise, I probably don't even get symptoms. I just get a very light snivel and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm spreading this thing all over. It just makes no sense. Anyway, uh, back to Steve, um, who says, and I moved my browser window here. Uh, Steve, who says, <laughs> sorry, so it's my fault. Uh, Steve, who says, uh, well, just the other weekend, they mandated that no unvaccinated truck drivers may cross into Canada. This is an idea that Germany also had, um, and in the UK, I think. With the USA uh, mandate on the same schedule, uh, on the same schedule to come into play uh, in the next few weeks, and to the backfires, mainstream media isn't reporting much on it, and the news article I saw actually downplayed it and even tried to associate it with other events. Classical tactic. Uh, but we now have the largest truck convoy in known history headed for, to our federal government. So this was about a week ago. I asked him what came out of this, and uh, maybe he'll he'll chime back in after. Well, it'll be in a month or whatever. But after uh, my, um, I'll you know I'll collect feedback that comes in in February, and I'll, we'll talk about it after my hiatus. Um, there are two routes from the westernmost provinces, so I, I'd love to know, um, Steve, uh, what's going on. Um, anyway, if, whenever I see Steve B, I just have to think of Steve Barmer. Maybe that he does that on purpose. I don't know. Just developers, developers, Java developers. Uh, there are two routes from the westernmost provinces. I'm not sure how many from the easternmost provinces, and it's all scheduled to converge at our federal government this coming Saturday. So this was like last week as I record this. The GoFundMe that was set up to help cover costs is currently over $4 million and climbing fast with companies pledging up to 10K uh, at a time. And currently word, current word is that American trucks are headed up to join coming from as far as Georgia. Current registration puts a total at over 50,000 trucks and 500,000 people in transit. I think Saturday will be worth watching. I, I want to know what happened there. This is great. Um, thanks, everybody, for uh, feed, for your feedback. And I thought this uh, thread was great. Um, good, good, interesting perspectives from all, all over the world, <clears throat> which is exactly what I wanted to solicit. And it, it worked. So thank, thanks, everybody. It's just like this biggest convoy. Um, ever just like in my in, in in my brain just goes you know uh, breaker breaker one nine this year's rubber duck you got a copy on me big Ben, come on oh yeah ten four big Ben, <laughs> by golly it's clear to flag down come on yeah that's a big ten four here big Ben. yeah we definitely got the front door good buddy mercy sakes alive look like looks like we got us a convoy <laughs> oh god i love that song <laughs> was the dark moon on the 6th of June in a Kenworth pulling logs. It just makes, like, I know that fucking lyrics, it, I don't even know what afterwards mean, it makes no sense, but it's hilarious. Cab over Pete with the reefer on and a Jimmy hauling logs. We're heading for bear on the I, was it I-10? I think it's I-10, right? We're, we're heading for bear on the I-10, but a mile out of shaky town, I says, Big Ben, here's the rubber duck, and I'm about to put the hammer down. Great movie as well, but the song is just, uh, I love that love that song uh anyway that's it i'm winding up the show um that was the feedback i thank all of you for your contributions
making of contributions um, equally important to all the people who write in and give me their feedback. Drinking the last of my tea and I'm thinking, why didn't I do that during the bumper? I'm such an idiot. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, uh, equally important to all the people who uh, pitch in and, you know, basically pay the bills for me um, at least a little bit and, and help me run the show. So um, please, uh, if you can, um, consider doing that you know there's a patreon uh, links in the show notes the private sit well no not the sorry private citizen.press um it's also uh, you can also send money via, via paypal that helps as well and please don't forget about me in february because i still need to uh eat um and i will be back i just there won't be any episodes in february but you know i'll make it up to you i promise so um please don't don't forget about me in February. Thank you. Um, and now I'd like to credit everybody who made this episode possible. Um, so thanks to Georges, Steve Hose, Butterbeans, Jonathan M. Hathi, Michael Mullen Jensen, Dave, Michael Small, 1i11g, Rodane the Insane, Jaroslav Lichtblau, Jackie Plage, Philip Klostermann, IKN, Vlad, Bennett Piata, Tobias, Sandman616, Kai Sears, Mode7, Joe Poser, Fadi Mansour, Dirk Didi, Rizal, Avis, David Potter, Mika, Mr. Amish, Cam, Dave Amrish, Ricky M, Barry Williams, Jonathan, RJ Tracy, Rick Bragg, Captain Eckhead, Robert Forster, Superuser, Astral C, D, No Reply, and Ewan Curry. And also all my Twitch subscribers, Mike the Dane, JonathanMH.com, Sandman616, Bake the Pork, Mode7 is unavailable, Nomt771, Water News XYZ, MTE Sorrow, El Terrestris Jim, and Jonathan4747. And I also have to thank ByteMark at ByteMark.co.uk for providing the bandwidth and the servers and the storage and everything to get you these audio files, which is vitally important. I couldn't do the show without them. So uh, we all thank ByteMark. And that's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bugger off now. Um, I'm going to release the show and then I'm going to uh, crack open a beer and then I'm going to start writing and I won't stop <laughs> for the whole month. And I'll hopefully get my, my crime novel done. Uh, wish me luck. At this point, I do not know wh who the murderer is um, because I'm writing on the seat of my pants like Stephen King and it could be could go horribly wrong. So uh, wish me luck. Um, yeah, and um, I'm going to play us out with a song that probably describes my state of mind um, at the end of February, um, but I will pro hopefully recover. Um, I've got some time in between where I'm basically writing... Um, you know, when got some. My wife's got some holidays as well, and um, it'll be basically like holiday, except I'm writing my novel all day. Um, but you know, I, it should keep me sane, and uh, it it should um, it should keep me from um, what this song is about. I I would love to play Convoy now, but you know, obviously you can't for rights reasons. But uh, you know, if if things go wrong next month, then uh, I'll have a brain copy syntax error which is what the song that I'm about to play is called. Brain Copy Syntax Error, I just love that, by Own the City. And um, I'll hopefully, um, well, I, I'm going to say I'll see you, but I won't. Ho hopefully you'll you'll see me back on Twitch and you'll hear me on this podcast in the beginning of March. Until then, have a good one. Um, I hope you don't miss the show too much. I hope you understand that I have to do this. This is very important to me. I'll uh, make it up with the episodes to you um, in the future. 
And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for writing in. Uh, thanks for supporting the show. I appreciate it very much. Uh, I love you guys and gals and whatever you identify as interstellar space rodent Cthulhu. I don't give a damn. See you next month. Well, the, the, the month after. See you in March. <laughs>